1 Kings 1, verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of those to whom that applies. We're very thankful for you. And we will begin with a, a level of somberness this morning because we're going to talk about a father about to die. But it gets better from there. Chapter 2 of 1 Kings, if you have your Bible. We began this morning in a bedroom of a great man. He was a shepherd a warrior, a king, a prophet. Ultimately, he was a husband and a father. And when we meet him, as we step in to listen, he's on his deathbed. He's called his son near to talk to him about his life and about his son's life. And as he has this conversation with his son, we learn three things that he is concerned about. And so I've entitled the sermon, Good Fathers. And there are three things that he says that good fathers do, and he is discussing each one of those. The first thing is seen here in verses 1 and verse number 2 of the second chapter. The Bible says, as David's time drew to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. David's concerned with two things, and that brings us to point number one. Good fathers see the future. In fact, it begins long before this event occurs. It really begins from the time he learns he is a father. He begins to see his own future first, and then he begins to see the future of his children. He knows very quickly they won't always be these wonderful, beautiful little bundles of joy that he is now holding and pressing close to his chest. They won't always be that. In fact, he very well knows that he was once what he's holding. David's son did what he did. He grew up. You remember when we met David? He was a young man, about 17 years old, tending his father's sheep. And now where do we find David? An old man laying on his bed and about to die. What happened between the time we met him and now? Well, life, and what a life he lived. He was a shepherd, a warrior, a king, a prophet. But I imagine if we talked to David, what would have been most important to him is that he was a father. And every father knows his children will one day grow up and to be Become adult men and women who one day will very likely have their own families. And in fact, it is that certainty and uncertainty of his future. He is certain he will die, but he's uncertain about when. And it's that which moves him to plan and to prepare for his own life and for the life of his children. In fact, that's what makes him determine to figure out his own life first. You find a lot of fathers, when they began, they are very unsure and uncertain that they are worthy of the job. And so he knows he will lead his children. He knows that. 
And he also knows that his children will largely become what he is when he is leading them. He is very aware of the futility of asking his children to become something other than what he shows them and shares and demonstrates before them. He sees his own future. But then secondly, that's what moves him to set a course of planning for his children's growth and development. The psalmist said it well, Psalm 127 and verse number 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Four things stands out about those arrows. Number one, they are in his hand. A father knows very well that he'll not complain about the state of the world. He won't go around moaning the state of everybody else and what they're doing, for he knows his child is in his hand. Secondly, they need to be aimed at something. Like an arrow, it needs to be aimed. And then thirdly, that they have the capacity then to do good or to do ill. Such is the nature of arrows in the hand. And then fourthly, he knows at some point they need to be released. And every father knows this. It's what he does. He starts to see the future. And then very likely, he'll make this charge, the very one David made to Solomon. It's at the end of verse number 2. In light of these things, he says, my son, be strong and show yourself a man. The word show here means to become, to exist as, to come to pass. Our world has forced us to have discussions that we once didn't need to have. We didn't need to have them because everybody knew the truth and the truth hasn't changed. And so we just moved on. We never really had to have the discussion. Once upon a time, everybody knew what a man was. So we didn't have to explain that. In fact, 15, 25 years ago, I'd have read this passage and just moved on. Show yourself a man. Everybody would have understood it. But that's what the world does. It takes the simple and makes it complex in order to cause confusion. Because the world knows confused people are more likely to be convinced by and believe error. What Christians should know is God is not the author of confusion. A man is a male, as contrasted with a woman or female. Solomon is a male and has been that since his birth. And so David is not telling Solomon to be something he already is. In fact, he's an adult man as he stands there. So what is he telling him, this man, to show himself a man? He's telling him to be mature, masculine, capable, strong, courageous, competent, spiritual. Be a man and be strong and show yourself to become this. Specifically, as it relates to Solomon, it's absolutely essential. Solomon is going to be the king of Israel. He's going to have to rule the nation. He'll have to execute judgment, deal with rivals trying to take his throne, keep foreign invaders at bay. In fact, it's already happening. 
Go back to chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, look there in chapter 1 of this book, and notice the first verse. The Bible says, Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not be warmed. If you were to keep reading the first 10 verses of this book, one of David's other sons, Adonijah, has already tried to take the throne. In fact, he's in the very process of it as we speak about David lying there on his bed. So much so that in verse number 11, if you were to read from verse number 11 over to verse 37, what you'll find is that Nathan and Bathsheba have run in and talked to the king about that revolt. And they've tried to get the king to remember that you said Solomon was going to reign, and there are people already taking the throne, trying to snatch it away from Solomon while you're still alive. And so, beginning in verse 38 to the end of the chapter, they will hurriedly anoint Solomon as king. And now that he is anointed king and the rivalry has been stopped, we get to chapter 2. And now, as David is lying on his bed, this is when he says these things to Solomon. Be strong. I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, a leader, courage, strength, just, righteous, mature. Be a man, Solomon. There is a New Testament equivalent in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 13, where the Apostle Paul says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit or act you like men, be strong. The word there means to make a man or make brave, to show oneself a man, to act manly, to render brave or manly. It's not a job description that makes one a man or manly. Whether he's a farmer, a rancher, a teacher, an artist, designer, engineer, athlete, career, coder, chef, landscaper, that's not it. It's a male that makes him a man. By definition, only a male can be manly. Manliness flows out of maleness, the male version of the two genders God made. It is his gender, his disposition, his nature matured from childhood to adult. If you were to define the word manly, it will say this, of or relating to characteristics of men. Some will add having qualities traditionally associated with a man. David was young and was now old. Solomon is young, comparatively speaking, and David's charge for him is to become what I became a strong, courageous, spiritual man. Now, I don't have to tell you that many would disagree with everything I just said. In fact, our culture would say, Eric, you're wrong about that. Men aren't the only ones who can be manly. Women can act manly as well, and I would agree. Women can act manly, and men can act feminine, but neither can be what they are not. It is just that, an act. You listen to the words, man, manly, female, feminine. 
the female. Definition, it means of, feminine rather, of or relating to women or girls, characterized by or possessing qualities traditionally attributed to women. Effeminate is womanish. Now, somebody would dig deep into the definition and realize, well, the word also means courageous. And they might say, well, Eric, are you saying women can't be courageous? I will say, yes, women can be courageous. But you know what we would call her if she's courageous? We would call her courageous. We wouldn't call her manly. <laughs> manly is defined as of or relating to the characteristics of men. Now, let me say one more word for Christians who might hear this. Please don't and stop. Please, don't give in to incorrect definitions. Don't give in to misinformation. Don't give in to anger. Don't give in to dishonesty or misdirection. Manliness does not mean rudeness. It does not mean stupidity. It does not mean hatred, chauvinism, ego, pride, or arrogance. It doesn't mean any of those things. Stay with Scripture. David, a man— tells his son, I'm going all the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. You be strong and show yourself a man. Paul to the Corinthians, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Praise God, we've celebrated Mother's Day. Now we celebrate Father's Day. Two genders. Two days, male, female. Don't be confused. Be godly and be scriptural. What do good fathers do? They see the future, their own and their children's. And that brings them to the second thing. The very next point is they set spirituality as the priority. Verse number three Keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his ordinances, his commandments, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law. David had done this. He had lived a faithful life to God from his youth and now nearing his death. David had been a spiritual individual. Good fathers live the life they want their children to one day live. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and listen to what Moses says to the nation. And please understand and apply this first and foremost to fathers and mothers and adult people. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses calls the nation together, he says this, beginning in verse number 6. He says, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Note whose heart? They're in the Father's heart. You teach them to your sons. Talk about them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You bind them as frontless and signs on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Who's doing that? The Father is. Why? He's seen his future. He's seen his children's future. 
What he knows is spirituality is the priority, and so he begins with his life. He brings his children up, to use Paul's language, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Moses' language, he puts the word in his heart, and then he teaches it diligently to his children. That means that good fathers are present, they participate, they educate, and they elucidate. That's what good fathers do. In this verse, David says three things to Solomon. First, he says, Solomon, keep the charge of the Lord, verse number three. That is a really good way of saying, honor God, Solomon. There were already idols in the land and already idols around the nation. He's not talking about them. He's telling his son, you keep the charge of the Lord, of Jehovah. You honor him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Solomon would have knew who he was. The God of Moses and Joshua and Samuel. In fact, the God of David. Solomon would have known that. The God who enabled David to defeat Goliath, to endure Saul, and to finally triumph over all of his enemies. The creator of heaven and earth, the deliverer of Israel. The God Solomon had known from his youth, from his father David. What does he say? Honor the Lord, Solomon. Keep the charge of the Lord. Secondly, he says, walk in his ways or submit your will to God. As a king, it would have no doubt been tempting for Solomon to go his own way. When you have absolute power, many believes it corrupts absolutely. And so David's charge to Solomon is, don't let that happen to you, son. Submit your will to God. Walk in his ways. The third thing he says to Solomon is, keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments. Where are they, he says, in the law of Moses? What is he saying? Obey God's word, Solomon. David's assurance to Solomon is that if you do this, the end of verse 3, he says to Solomon, all of the blessings of life for this world and the next will flow to you out of these things. The end of verse 3 says, that thou may succeed in all that you do wherever you turn. What is the linchpin for David and success for Solomon? The Lord and his word. Solomon, if you submit to the Lord, if you honor him, if you follow after him, if you obey his word, then Solomon, you will succeed in all that you do and wherever you go. That's always been the plan. In fact, David would have known that himself personally. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. Notice what it says by way of prophecy relative to the fact that at the time of this writing, Israel doesn't have a king. But God does know one day they'll ask for one, and they do. And when they ask, God already has in place how that king is to behave. And among the things he says that king is to do is Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18. Note what it says. The Bible says, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, the king of Israel, when he sits on his throne, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests, 
it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that, note the end, so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. If you start reading through your Bible in the Old Testament, it will come back to this over and over and over again, that the Word of God and the adherence to it, the submission to it, the honoring of Him is where success is. Note a few passages with me. Look at Proverbs, the book of Proverbs written largely by Solomon. Listen to what he says beginning in chapter 1 of the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. What's the book about? To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior. In what areas of life? Every area. Righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Verse number seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. By the time Solomon pins these words, he is a father. Notice what he says in chapter 2, begin at verse number 1. My son, my son, if you will receive my words, treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for her for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, seek what? Wisdom. My words. Notice verse number six. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What does Solomon now believe as a father? The same thing he was told. Son, if you want to succeed, look at chapter 3. Notice what he says there. My son, verse number 1, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. What will happen? Length of days and years of life. But not only that, and peace will they add unto you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart. And what will happen? You will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. What should you do? Trust in the Lord, son. Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You start reading through the book of Proverbs, and it touches every single area of life. Chapter 1 opens about verse 10, starting with friends. My son, if sinners entice you, don't go with them. Where would you get this information? You want wisdom? Go to God. Listen to his word. Where would Solomon get that? His father. This is the thing, and it's why fathers began to see the future. They know. They know one day, I'm going to go the way of all the earth. They know that if they live long enough, chances are really good. If they keep living, not only will they have one son, very likely that son will grow up and have another son. He sees the future because he knows what I do now is going to affect generations later. And that will move them to number two. The, once you know that, 
You move spirituality to the top priority. Son, if we're going to be successful, I won't be here. I'm going the way of all the earth. But if you're going to be successful, you're going to need to be a man. You're going to need to be responsible. You're going to be an adult. You're going to be, be mature. You're going to need to be a man. But not only that, you're going to need to make God and his word the priority. Spiritual life is the priority. What is the source? God's word. Son, you need it. You cannot do better as a father than to do what David is telling Solomon. To give your children the knowledge of Jehovah, a spirit of submission to his will, and a willingness to obey his word. David ends by saying, son, if you want to succeed in all that you do, and wherever you go, you do these things, and you will. Time won't allow us to look through the Psalms many of which, again, David writes in pens and hear him talk about God's Word and its magnificent and its power to help one's life. How shall a young man cleanse his way, Psalm 119.11, by following your Word? How much of God's Word is truth? The sum of your, God, your Word is truth. Is God's Word settled? Your Word is settled in heaven. Is it able to help me? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. It goes on and on. And what is the point? Son, spirituality is the priority. God is the priority. His word you need it in your life. Point number three, what does David do with Solomon? He seeks buy-in. Verse number four, so that, he says, so that the Lord may carry out. David has lived his life, and it's almost over. But one of the things that marks David's life is he has seen the faithfulness of the Lord. He has been blessed by following the Lord. In fact, on one occasion, David would say in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. David is now trying to get buy-in from Solomon. Solomon, make your life like my life. God has been good to me. He's been faithful to me. He's blessed me. I'm here because of him. And now I'm about to go. What do you need to do, son? You need to do the same thing. He said, you need to buy into this. So many parents sometimes feel like they're fighting their children, trying to pull on them and tug on them and wrestle with them. No, that's not the answer. Oh, you do the first thing. You see the future. And then you set spirituality as a priority. You model it as best you can. You teach God's Word and then put it in their hearts after it's in yours. At some point, children become old enough, and we stop wrestling and fighting, and we start asking for you to buy in. You notice what verse number four says. David says, with regards to that verse, first of all, he says, so that that the Lord may continue in his word the promise which he spoke concerning me. We read some of it, what God said back in Deuteronomy, but he said it to David specifically. 
But what did he say? Notice the second half of verse number four, and this is where the buy-in begins. He says, if your sons are careful, note the next expression, of their way to walk before me in truth. How? With all of their heart and with their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Good fathers at some point come to realize my children have to make God their own. My children have to choose the Lord. I do all that I can, and then at some point, I got to get buy-in as best I can. It's got to be yours. Good fathers know they can't force their children to follow God. In fact, it's the mistake that many make early on. I'm just going to have a thousand and one rules, and you make sure you follow them. Well, it'll work while they're children, but even then, some children will actually rebel against that. You're just stronger than they are, so you can force them into shape, but they're not always going to be children, and this is not always going to work. What will work is love and, and fairness and equity and control relative to rules and restrictions and all of those things, teaching and training. Now, that will work modeling, putting the Word in your heart, teaching it to them, that will work. But at some point, whether it's done well or whether it's done wrong, you're going to have to make your own decisions about God, and good fathers know that. Each person must choose God for themselves. In fact, Solomon had a great start. If you turn one page to chapter 3, you will see Solomon's start with God. God appeared to Solomon in a dream, verse number 4 and 5 will tell us. And the Bible will say in verse number 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David. In verse number 10, between 3 and 10, God will ask Solomon what he wants, and, and Solomon will, will make a request for wisdom and, and, a, and an understanding heart to judge God's people. And in verse number 10 gives us God's response to that. The Bible says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then verse 11 down to verse 14 tells us God blessed Solomon with more because he asked of that. Solomon had a great start with God. But since you're there, keep turning over to chapter 11 and notice what also happened in Solomon's life. The Bible says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and the Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, you shall not associate with them, for they will surely turn your heart away with their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princes, 300 concubines and wives, and they turned away his heart. That also happened to Solomon. In fact, Solomon is the reason the kingdom gets divided. We have the northern and the southern because of Solomon's idolatry and God's disapproval. Solomon went away from God in his life. When Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes, many believe, and I hope it is absolutely the case, that in his older age, Solomon came back to God. And Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, it's Solomon who says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the whole of man. For God will bring every sin in the judgment. Yes, every secret sin. It's Solomon who writes that, and we pray that Solomon did. Come back to the Lord. Whatever the case, good fathers, they do these three things. They are a blessing from God if you have one or had one. And if you are a father, we thank God for you. Happy Father's Day. If you're just starting out or you've been at it a while, then you need to do these three things. You need to see the future, and chances are real good if you are a father, it didn't take you long in the operating room or in the delivery room. It didn't take you long to start seeing the future. Now, for some people, they saw a future athlete. For some people, they saw a future, you fill in the blank. That's not the future I mean. No, you're not going to always be here, and they're not always going to be babies. You need to see that. And that needs to move you to set spirituality as the priority. These words need to first be in your heart, and then you need to teach them diligently to your children. And then you need to seek buy-in. We don't sit with our young people enough and look them in the eye and ask them, what do you believe? How do you understand it? Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you need more information? Do you need some clarity? Do you have some questions? It almost seems like we dunk them in the water and then just let them go and then we'll revisit it and hope that our corralling of them for six, seven, eight years is sufficient to keep them faithful. That's not how this works at all. Young people, you need to be studying your own Bible. Your parents have led you this far. Hopefully your fathers have modeled it. Do your own investigation. Ask your own questions. Seek and buy in. David says to Solomon, my son, you need to walk in your ways, need to be with the Lord. And God wants to direct your steps, and you need to live that. And we know Solomon did on some level because he keeps asking his son, my son, listen to God's word and follow after him. Thank the Lord. We still celebrate mothers and fathers. Today it's fathers, and we are thankful for you and pray God's blessings upon you as you lead your family to him. Now, the Christian this morning, become one. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins, and where I am, you cannot come. The Bible says you must repent. That is a change of mind. When you learn God, you change your mind. And when you change your mind, you change the direction of your life. You change your walk. You change who you are. The Bible calls that repentance. And Jesus says, if you don't do that, you'll perish, Luke 13 and 3. You confess the name of Jesus. It's really an interesting word. I'd encourage you to go study it. Start in John chapter 9. That's a really good chapter for the study. The word means to say the same thing. That's the idea. And in the book of John, Jesus is saying, I am the Son of God. He says it a myriad of ways. The Word is made flesh, chapter 1 and verse number 14. I am the light, John chapter 8 and verse 12. I'm the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. My Father and I are one. He keeps saying it. I am God in the flesh. In John chapter 9, some people are asked to say the same thing, and they won't say it because they fear the Jews. 
And Jesus said, if you don't confess me, then I won't confess you. We confess Jesus, and then we get baptized into Jesus to wash away our sins. Friends, if you've never done that, you need to do that. If you are a child of God and you've lived in a way that's not pleasing to your heavenly father, and certainly while we honor our earthly fathers, and rightly so, nothing would be more honorable to your heavenly father than if necessary for one of his children gone astray to come home to him. He will receive you. He will forgive you. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.